Welcome back to the show, everybody. I have a phenomenal guest, uh, somebody who has been on my short list of must-haves the, from the moment my buddy Ryan Anderson set me up with him. Uh, my buddy Ryan out in, out in AZ has been sending me podcasts on occasion that have never fallen short, so thank you, Ryan. Uh, I, I don't always have time to get around to them, but he kept hammering me on this one. He's like, you gotta listen, you gotta listen. Send me, he sent me more than one. He's like, all right, listen to him on this one, too. So I listened to one and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> right? All right. Now I got a rabbit hole, Robert Forte. And um, I have just been absolutely blown away by some, like, but just by the fact that someone like him exists, somebody that's been in this space uh, of the psychedelic re- renaissance, really, uh, from the early days onward up until now, who understands it quite a bit differently than most people do and has a deep a deep understanding of the history of this country and the trajectory we've been on. And um, we really unpack a lot of that in this podcast. It is not for the faint of heart. Uh, I will tell you, you know, there's some things that we just skim right through, like, like this is all uh, information you should know, and I do apologize for that. I will have Robert back on for sure. He had a, a one-hour heart out because I think he was at a funeral out in New Jersey, uh, where he's from. Probably, yeah, I think he does mention that on the podcast, but there was reason for a heart out. I would not leave this at an hour long, um, setting him up with Paul Check. There is no question that will be three to four hours long. And I'm gonna have Robert back on. Um, and I wanna deep dive a few of these topics, in particular, uh, the formation of the CIA and NASA uh, with some some of the folks that came over from Germany that were were found and given high paying, high ranking jobs. And um, if this is the first time you've heard that, uh, again, we're just gonna graze over that as if you already know it. Those are things that I wanna unpack with greater detail. I wanna unpack um, the history of MDMA with greater detail. And he has, if you've listened to him on other podcasts, Uh, Some pretty detailed and fucking uh, just not run-of-the-mill stories that flow with with where we're at in that piece of the psychedelic renaissance. So um, I think one of the things that's drawn me the most to Robert is after listening to him, diving into some of his writing and the way that he can articulate and parallel between some of the bigger threats that we find in the world today, i.e., Brave New World versus 1984. Uh, we talk Brave New World revisited it. Uh, revisited it, 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 it. There we go. We'll add in like 40 EDs at the end. Um, I'm going to link to that in the show notes. It is uh, not a super fast read, but it's also not a book. It's an essay. And it is very worth reading. It is very worth your time. Uh, it will put a lot of this stuff into context and a lot of where we're at in the world into context. You know, it's funny because online people would, you know, throw out 1984 or this and that and Um, there's certainly a lot of elements of that. I've talked about that with the fact that there's a, a a camera on every streetlight, not every traffic light, every streetlight in my neighborhood has a camera on it. That's some 1984 shit. That's not, that's not stretching or bending the imagination to think of this as Orwellian. It is, uh, or at least, at least from Orwell's terms like that, that is, that is it. But where they differ is in the totalitarian takeover of a 1984 scenario where big government and machine guns and uh, boots to the throat takeover. um, I'm not certain we're going to see that. And I don't think it's going to need to go that way 
from a takeover standpoint, if we are to live in a dystopian future, I think it's more along lines with Brave New World in which we find ourselves seduced by convenience and uh, the right smells and the newness of new things and the ease of everything that we just get lulled into this place of complacency and societal conformity. And um, Robert's views on those subjects are fucking phenomenal. So I'm going to unpack a lot more of that with him in the future as well. We touch on these things in this podcast, and I get a good history of, of him as I try to do on each podcast. Um, anytime it's a first-time guest, so expect more from us in the future. You can write me your questions on Twitter. Don't DM me. I don't check that shit, but just write. Just say, hey, at Kingsboo, K-I-N-G-S-B-U. Uh, and you look, we could fucking argue all day about the benefits and non-benefits of social media and who Elon Musk really is and all that shit. I'm, I don't really give a fuck. I mean, it's, it's yes, yes. And if you want to hit me up, that might be the easiest way to do it. So at Kingsboo on Twitter, send me some questions you want Robert and I to dive into on round two there. And I'll read them there. And uh, we'll we'll dive into the, these topics because I know that this is this is a podcast that will leave you wanting more. And it's not meant to be a cliffhanger. This is a guy who I would absolutely just sit in front of and pull every thought that I can from his immaculate brain. Um, but we just didn't have time for that. So we will. I will make the time for that going forward. Uh, there are a number of ways you can support this podcast. Share it with a friend. Share it with somebody who's who's maybe been on the fence about the directives behind uh, plant medicines just all of a sudden being unleashed. I've always wondered that. Like, it's kind of weird that these things have been around for thousands of years, and yet all of a sudden in the 1960s, they just come online. Like, everyone's got access. Everyone knows about it. All the who's who, you know, within the media and, and um, you know, professors and, and people of high-ranking status all of a sudden, you know, get it, get on the train and this is the next thing. This is what we're going to study. And then, you know, the mean government takes it away and makes it illegal. And now we can't study these things anymore. And it's just, uh, something seemed a little off about that. And I love Robert's breakdown of it. So, uh, share this with a friend, anybody that you think would like this episode, uh, leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show's helped you out in life and leave us your at handle on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And we'll be able to get, easily get a hold of you. Organify all year long. Organify.com slash KKP is going to be giving you guys a free product from my, my favorite arsenal. Um, I have a handful of them, so I actually don't know what that is. But but uh, surprise, surprise, uh, you'll be gifted one. And it really has not a lot of, you know, it's not a guessing game. If the, better, the better the review, the better the chance you're going to win. We're selecting the best review each month. And it's pretty simple. That's it. So, um and then support our sponsors, of course. That's the last one. That is the that's it. Support our sponsors. They make this show possible. They allow me to take the time necessary to dive deep into the work of these guests and uh, and pay my staff. You know, I've got a production manager. I've got a lot of things going on to make this show possible. And even though it's low production, it still costs money. And it really helps when you guys support these sponsors for me to cover the bills and costs associated with it. So I really appreciate that. Every single one of these sponsors is hand-selected from me. Uh, they can be gifted in and brought in by my homie, David, my assistant, but I'm going to do a, a pretty scrutinized check. And for everything that he says, you know, what do you think of these guys? I, I will say that there's quite a few that I say yes to, but most of them I'm saying no to most of them. I'm saying, I don't fucking, I think it's just corny run of the mill bullshit. So I'm highly selective over who gets to sponsor the show. And many of our sponsors have been on with us for, for quite some time over a year. Sometimes we recycle them and run them back. We got my dude. Mark Bell, who's been on this podcast several times, uh, I want to introduce Mark Bell's Mind Bullet. 
the ultimate Kratom supplement for enhanced focus and mental clarity. Are you looking for a natural way to boost your cognitive function and improve your mental performance? Look no further. Mind Bullet by Mark Bell is here to revolutionize the way you approach mental focus and clarity. Packed with the power of premium Kratom extract, Mind Bullet is formulated to provide you with sustained energy, heightened focus, and enhanced mental clarity without the jitters or crash associated with other stimulants. Kratom, a botanical herb native to Southeast Asia, has been used for centuries for its natural properties that support cognitive function and provide a sense of calm and well-being. What sets Mind Bullet apart is its premium quality and unique formulation. Each capsule or extract is carefully crafted with the finest Kratom sourced from trusted suppliers, ensuring the highest standards of purity and potency. Mark Bell is a renowned strength athlete and a wellness expert and has personally curated this supplement to deliver maximum benefits from mental performance and focus. Whether you need to stay sharp at work, crush your workouts, or excel in your studies, Mind Bullet is the ultimate tool to unlock your brain's full potential. Experience the cognitive enhancing benefits of Mind Bullet with heightened focus and concentration, improved mental clarity and cognitive function, enhanced mood and well-being, long-lasting energy without the crash, and premium quality and purity. Don't settle for mediocre mental performance. Upgrade your cognitive function with Mark Bell's Mind Bullet and take your productivity, focus, and mental clarity to the next level. Order your bottle of Mind Bullet today and unleash your power for optimal mental performance at mindbullet.com. That's M-I-N-D-B-U-L-L-E-T.com and use KKP at checkout for 20% off everything in the store. This guy, Mark Bell is a savage. He's one of my favorite human beings and Mind Bullet is, in fact, one of the best Kratom supplements on the planet. It's absolutely incredible. It's almost like an adaptogen in that I can take it during the day, and some people get they don't keep them up at night, but I can take it during the day, train like a madman, podcast, be in the flow state. I've done very well, um, you know, with with uh, gun training and different things like that because I'm zeroed in. And most people wouldn't think that, you know, I certainly couldn't do that on cannabis; it's too heady. Mind Bullet creates a euphoria in the body, and it allows me to zero in while quieting the monkey mind. So that puts me into a flow state relatively quickly. It's great for running. It's great for anything you want to do, cardio, strength training, and it's also great just for being in the zone via the podcast. And I find this to be just a phenomenal, phenomenal product. So thank you, Mark. Got to get Mark back on the show here soon. We're also brought to you today by AncestralHuntingSchool.com. All right, y'all, as you know, I'm a vocal advocate for making time to reconnect to nature and experience all the benefits of recharging through time away from the trappings of our modern lives. I've learned a ton from the numerous hunting experiences I've participated in over the last several years, even those excursions which don't result in an animal harvest. There's a ton of value in learning the principles and practices you'll need to employ to put a hunt together. The experience and knowledge handed down to participants in Ancestral Hunting School's Primitive Rendezvous will go a long way to reconnecting you with your primal roots and ability to survive in the wilderness like our ancestors did. If you're seeking to expand your skills and curious about acquiring knowledge of essentials, hunting strategies and tactics along with tracking, basic orienteering, foraging, butchering, processing, and general survival, then I encourage you to check out Ancestral Hunting School's Primitive Rendezvous program. Ancestral Hunting School's experienced coaches will guide you through the wilderness, teaching you how to build shelters, start a fire with a bow drill, all while sleeping in a teepee at 9,000 feet elevation in the heart of Colorado. This is absolutely awesome. Uh, I haven't been through the full program, but I have been on a hunting trip with Ken Conti, who is the head of this school. And Ken is an absolute fucking wizard. He's somebody that, uh, that has been a fit for service member for some time. Just an incredible, incredible person. 
somebody who's done many sun dances, many sweats, and somebody that I, I find to be a true medicine man and a true, a true friend and ally in this space. And it's somebody that I absolutely adore and love. So I'm really excited to be able to share this with you guys because this is something that can get you into a state where you're going to be ready. I mean, there's a lot of things you got to check, uh, survival skills, foraging, butchering skills, orienteering, tracking, hide preparation and tanning is a really cool one. Firearms handling and safety. That's another cool one. If you've never, never shot a rifle before, if you did when you were a kid, I remember my first hunt, I didn't even zero in. Uh, my first hunt was, was, uh, since I was a kid, I was borrowing a buddy's rifle. I didn't zero in. I hadn't, I don't even think it'd been shot in, in years. Right. So you travel somewhere, your scope can get knocked around. Um, I didn't take a shot that trip, thankfully, because it would have been fucking off by a mile. But, uh, it's funny looking back, like, uh, how much shit just, just was not in alignment because I didn't take the time necessary to give myself the resources mentally, physically, and emotionally necessary to complete a hunt correctly. And then even then when you do it right, you're still going to, there's still going to be plenty of times where you don't, you know, you're not successful by, by, uh, by whatever standard of success, you know, if, if you're not taking an animal home, but there's still success in that. There's still a lot of success in that. Even that trip where I didn't have a shot fired, uh, the first elk hunt that I went on in Joseph, Oregon, Northeast Oregon. Um, I ended up having some amazing meditation, some amazing time connecting with my brother, Matthew Hewitt. And, um, and it's still one of the things that like really drew me back into this. Um, so you guys can have access to all the tools you're going to need. And then some, you're going to get a lot of experience from this experience. And it, it really would have helped me out to have this first, uh, especially after experiencing a successful elk hunt, uh, with Ken Conti, uh, in January, we went down to, or up rather to Northern Colorado. Can't tell you where and uh, we were successful. Uh, that's about that's about it. You're not going to hear uh, uh, the unit number or any of that shit. All right. For more information, visit their website at ancestralhuntingschool.com now to learn more about the programs and start your journey to greater self sufficiency and expanded ability to handle whatever life throws at you. And be sure to use KKP at checkout for ten percent off. Again, Ancestral Hunting School, where the past prepares you for your future. We're also brought to you today by the homies at curednutrition.com slash KKP. Remember to use KKP at checkout for 20% off. These guys have some amazing, amazing products. Uh, I've talked a lot about Rise as a, as a phenomenal nootropic that contains lion's mane, cordyceps, mushrooms, rhodiola, ginseng, and broad-spectrum CBD, something I use daily. There's no caffeine, so it's great for midday coffee or energy drink replacement. I do stack it with my caffeine in the morning, and it seems to work great then. Um, it's got Huperzia serrata, which is known as a nootropic and really helps your body take choline and create more acetylcholine, which is the thing that's responsible for a lot of our memory, language recall, and, uh, and cognitive function. Lion's mane, we know, is, for, is an amazing mushroom for mental clarity and energy. Cordyceps, which is one of the best, you know, one of the best first ones. I know that there's some uh, fucked up sci-fi show where cordyceps mutates, can take over humans, but cordyceps is incredible. It's long been used for oxygen utilization. It's used by many endurance athletes. It's even used by non-endurance athletes. It's used by glycolytic folks that, that, you know, like fighters and things like that because of the fact that it's going to ramp up ATP production through the mitochondria. And it's an excellent way. It's working on separate paths. All of these things have a beautiful synergy. And that's what I love about Cure Nutrition is that no matter which product you get, whether it's Rise, Zen, or their CBN oil, which is their knock you out, go to sleep stuff, all of these have partnered with many different mushrooms and Ayurvedic medicine and plant medicines that 
have a number of benefits on their own. They're all standalone awesome supplements, but when combined uniquely together, they create something that is novel that no one else really has. Check out curednutrition.com slash KKP. That's C-U-R-E-D nutrition.com slash KKP and use coupon code KKP at checkout for 20% off. Absolutely love these guys. Uh, the Zen is something that I take damn near every night. It's got reishi, ashwagandha, chamomile, passion flower, and broad spectrum CBD. It's just an excellent way to unwind. I take it 45 minutes before uh, sleeping to help to help me fall asleep. And I wake up with zero grogginess and it's just phenomenal stuff. There's no melatonin in it either. So it's just an excellent way to utilize the plants and mushrooms and CBD to get you to sleep great. Check it all out. CureNutrition.com slash KKP. Last but not least, we're brought to you by my homies at Lucy.co. That's L-U-C-Y dot C-O. Look, we're all adults here, and I know some of us choose to use nicotine to relax, focus, or just unwind after a long day. Lucy is a modern oral nicotine company that makes nicotine gum, lozenges, and pouches for adults who are looking for the best, most responsible way to consume their nicotine. We're halfway through the year. Why not switch out to a new nicotine product that you can feel good about? Uh, this has been great, and there's never been a better time to think about this. The government is banning vapes. Government is reducing the amount of nicotine in cigarettes. There's never been a better time to give Lucy a try. There's great flavors, multiple strengths, and it's the only nicotine pouch with a capsule inside that keeps it fresh. I think their pouches are phenomenal. You don't have to spit in anything. You know, it's not like you got your your spittoon or whatever the fuck, you know, some can of Diet Coke that, that's just full of fucking backwash and tobacco spit. You never have to worry about that with Lucy.co. Um, the pouches do seem to last longer for me than gum, and that's likely just due to a flavoring thing, but I think that's just a, it's an easy pick me up that tunes me in, brings me into awareness. You can use it while you're working out. You can use it while you're grinding at work, while you're learning is a really good time to also use it because you're going to retain more information with the dopamine kick. And we also have to say, uh, must read warning. This product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. All right, that's it. Visit lucy.co, lucy.co. And be sure to use that promo code KKP at checkout for 20% off everything. Without further ado, my brother, Robert Forte. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've, 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 I've taken, uh, again, I've, I mean, pretty much the last six weeks have been uh, some of the best six weeks in the, in the past few years. And they've also been just nonstop. Like I went to Soltara with a great group and sat with ayahuasca for the first time in four years. Oh. And then, you know, just got home and was like, hit the ground running as a dad and, and with work and catching up on that. We just got back from Montana oh. for an event we threw out there. And that was absolutely incredible. Nice. And and it once again, hit the ground running for podcasts this week. So there's, there's a no, no real rest for integration, but it's been a, it's been, it's been an awesome time. So you gave me, you gave me some, you gave me some great homework. Uh, we were able to talk on the phone. I had heard you, um, uh, one of my, one of our mutual buddies, uh, Ryan sent, sent me a podcast that you were on and he kept bugging me about it, which I love because I knew I could tell like there's, there's, he sends me some podcasts at times. He sent me some great ones with Jamie wheel and different people, different thought leaders. And he kept sending you over and he sent me different ones from you. And I was like, I was like, all right, man, I, I'll be honest. I haven't listened to these yet. And he's like, just, just listen when you can. And so I finally did. And I was like, holy shit. All right. <laughs> Get them for me, please. We got to get them on the podcast. And um, it's funny. I sent that off to a group of friends and different people in the podcast game. And and they're all chomping at the bit, too. Paul Check, who's got a, 
it's it's funny because we're both in the field. If you you know our subcategory is like health and wellness, um, but for both of us, health and wellness is is all of it. It's it's physical, it's mental, emotional, it's spiritual. Psychedelics definitely fall into that line, and psychology and relationships and everything in between. So we 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 certainly have a wide variety of guests on the show, but he's like in the top three in health and fitness, and he was chomping at the bit for you. So I'd love to introduce you guys after this podcast ends. Okay. Um, you had me. You had me read uh, uh, "Brave New World Revisited," and um, and I've been going through some of your archives, and there's a lot to chew on. But first, I think you know the the theme of my show really is just to get a, a background, like who are we talking to? How did you become the person you are today? And you've got a a really cool background, like you're you're you were a part of the who's who in this space for many years, and you're going to take us on the road less traveled in the sense that we're going to talk about subjects that most people aren't privy to. When we think about this, it's all airy fairy rainbows and butterflies. And, um, and I think it's a really important discussion for people to hear. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I'm delighted to connect with you and, um, I'm enjoying our mutual relationships and friends and our passion for this, for, uh, uh the general subject of health and well being. And you rattled off a few things that health is, you know, psychological and physical and, um, it's also cultural. And so when, some of the things that I want to talk about are um, uh, historical. And then I'm looking at, um, I'm looking at the, 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 this part of my career. I'm mostly interested in what's happening sociologically, politically, culturally with psychedelics and just in general. I mean, we are in an unprecedented time of human history. There are some really exceptional things happening both good and rather horrifying, okay? And, um, you know, my frame of reference is my lifetime. I'm 66 years old. I was born in 1956. I was a little bit too young to be involved in the first wave of psychedelia that happened. I was just, you know, I'm playing Little League Baseball in, in the 1960s when these drugs started flooding into our society. And... Um, and as I said, you know, it's kind of crazy for me. I'm sitting here in the Hilton Hotel in Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. When I was a kid, this was apple orchards and farmland and a country two-lane road. And now it's a four-lane virtual highway with uh, industrial park. Some of the largest corporations in the world have set up their, their headquarters here. BMW, uh, Mercedes-Benz, IBM, Ingersoll Rand, like that. So I was witness to this incredible growth of what I call rapacious capitalism, just chewing up nature. And um, at the same time, these drugs are being flooded into our country. I also have very early memories of the assassination of John Kennedy. I was, I was uh, five or six years old and what happened there. And so some of the things I want to talk about today have to do with the reemergence of a potential Kennedy administration. I don't know how closely you're following that, but your, your, um, your friend Aubrey Marcus did a very wonderful uh, podcast with Bobby Kennedy, who I've had the great privilege and honor to get to know a little bit. And, um, and so his presidential campaign is not just a normal presidential campaign. It's actually a, a civil response to a coup d'etat that happened in the United States in 1963 when he was assassinated and then final nail in the coffin when his brother was assassinated in 1968. And a lot of Americans are, especially your age, are kind of 
unaware of what that was. And these unsolved murders of President John Kennedy and Senator Robert Kennedy. And perhaps you heard um, Russell Brand a couple of weeks ago give a really, uh, really fantastic interview. I'm glad you, I'm glad you appreciate it. So these are the things I want to kind of get into. Now, me, I'm just a kid growing up here in this bucolic suburb of New Jersey. And one day, uh, a stream where I used to play died. It was a place that was my paradise as a kid. It was um, full of frogs and salamanders and snakes. And one day, because of the construction, they rerouted something or they dumped something in the stream and it was dead. And I was mortified by this. And uh, it kind of made me um, a radical environmentalist. Like, what is happening to our world? And, um, and I had a mystical experience down there. And it was um, very brief, but my mother, when I told her about it, thought that I was smoking pot and I wasn't smoking pot. But when she said that to me, I thought, wow, pot will do that. So as soon as I could, I got <laughs> smoking a little weed and it was um, very, very pleasant. And it's been an ally for me my entire life. I, I stayed away from psychedelic drugs because I saw what was happening to the kids that were taking them, they were kind of, they were spinning out. They were, they were, it wasn't, it wasn't a, a good, the first wave here was not good. These kids became casualties. And I put psychedelic drugs on my list of things that I was never going to get involved with. Until I was um, in my third year of college, when I um, was, I'd begun to study the history of religion and I learned that psychedelic drugs, mushrooms in particular, had a role in activating the religions of India. Really, yoga and meditation and all these techniques of Indian mysticism originate from the most ancient book, the Rig Veda, which was about a ceremony collecting these probably mushrooms and consuming them and having visions. So that just set me off. I realized, wow, that's the most interesting thing. And I was going to Columbia University in New York City, right over there across the river, and dove in. My first book was by, was by Alan Watts and Timothy Leary, The Joyous Cosmology. And I thought, wow, this is fascinating. And then just a whole series of coincidences and magical meetings. I moved to California to finish my degree. My professor was Timothy Leary's best friend who turned him on, who was also very saddened by what happened in the 60s. And that we needed to somehow, you know, revitalize and reactivate this body of research wiser now from the mistakes of the 60s. And he said, Robert, you're, you know, why don't you do this? Why don't you do He knew what I was interested in altered states and creativity and political awareness. And, and I was a very good student. And he said, you know, do this. And he prodded me to do things. And so I was ended up meeting people. Stanislav Grof invited me to come down to Esalen and be his student. I developed, began to develop a personal teacher-student relationship with Albert Hofmann. You know, things just started to spin very quickly. Al Alexander Shulgin, I met him. He liked me. He taught me and my friends how to make MDMA that was not illegal yet. And I began a pretty extensive underground program providing MDMA to, to therapists and select people all around the country that developed into an international thing. 
and I turned on uh, medical schools to try to get research going and really like revive psychedelic science wiser from the 60s. That was my, that's what occupied me from like 1980 to the mid 1980s. And then we saw the same thing happen. We saw this kind of sensationalism and uh, the drugs being used outside of a sacred context. People kind of just recklessly popularized these drugs. One of them being a fellow named Rick Doblin, who maybe you've had on your show, or maybe we can drill into that a little bit. And so, um, you know, I'm just kind of riffing here, but that's a little bit of my background. You know, I have, I have worked with practically everybody of any significance in this field. Houston Smith, the great historian of religion, was um, a participant in the original Harvard Project, was a very close friend and mentor to me. Mircea Iliade, one of the great, um, the, one of the greatest historians of religion, who started the field, the history of religions, was my mentor in graduate school. I learned LSD psychotherapy with Stanislav Grof. I did. I was in therapy for a decade or more with Claudio Naranjo, and um, you know, name somebody, <clears throat> and I either Gordon Wasson, who was a, a, the major story that we should drill into. You know, the man who, quote unquote, discovered the mushroom was a man that I had a personal relationship with and visited at his home many times and uh, went through his archives. Oscar Janiger, who, who spearheaded the major project in Los Angeles, turning on all these celebrities. I lived at his house. You know, it's crazy how deeply I got into this. And let me just say this before I yeah, ask a question. Because <laughs> I'm going to say some things that are um, controversial, that may annoy or alienate me from the contemporary psychedelic movement. I need to say this, that I have tremendous respect and love for psychedelic drugs and what they can do to expand and advance human consciousness. And at the very same time, I'm appalled in many cases with what is happening to them now with the commodification of them and the exploitation of them, the weaponization of them. And that um, this one of the reasons that I'm coming out and, and giving these podcasts and meeting far out people like you that I have learned also are loving these substances and see what they can do, but are also really inviting critical analysis of the status quo. So that's before my morning coffee. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. I, yeah, it's it's. A, uh, I could see why Ryan was just you know adamant about me finally getting to listen to you. Um, there's a lot we're going to dive deeply in here. I definitely want to dive into Rick Doblin, but perhaps we start uh, from, you know, this this original renaissance and and Gordon Wasson and uh, really what the time was like. I don't think, you know, as you as you talk about Bobby Kennedy and, and JFK, um, there is kind of a disconnect, you know, and we have to, I grew up, you know, in, in, uh, you know, with, with Bush senior and no new taxes and, and, uh, you know, the Reagan campaign and no, you know, don't do drugs and all this shit, the dare campaign. And then it was W and then it was all the things that we've, I've been a part of. And then kind of retroactively, I had had to go back, you know, like nine 11 happened and there's some head scratching things that happened. Tower seven goes down. And then somebody's like, well, Hey, did you do realize like the potential of the CIA's involvement with JFK's assassination? And then poof, like the whole world starts to open up. So, um, I think diving into, you know, where psychedelics were really introduced in this country and 
uh, Gordon Wasson and, and kind of what the world was like then, you know, this post-war um, and, and what started happening with, with bringing over the Nazis that most people, you know, maybe they've seen that with NASA, but your connection to the CIA and some of these different things are definitely some of the big juicy topics I want to dive into today. Okay, cool. Far out. That's exactly what I want to talk about too. So let's, let's go back to, because I, I was talking on the phone <clears throat> with a journalist yesterday <clears throat> when I was driving down here and it, you know, to really understand where, what, where I'm coming from requires some prerequisites. It really requires, we, we have to first of all realize that just about, if you went to conventional schools in the United States, virtually everything in the last 60 years, virtually everything you've learned about modern American history is incorrect, is a psyop itself. Okay, so the post-war period, let's just start there. Um, you know, the United States didn't defeat Hitler and win World War. The Allies didn't actually defeat the Third Reich and win World War II. And Hitler would bomb killed in his bunker and, you know, that whole story and the, 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 the U.S.-Ally relationship, we were the good guys. That's not really what happened. It's, it's a lot more complicated than that. And in a nutshell, what, what did happen is that is that, you know, it took a long time for the United States to enter the war. Even after Pearl Harbor, there was Pearl Harbor was what was the catalyzing event. But right up to that, people were, let's not fight that war. And the reason for that is, is that there were very powerful American forces that were pro, pro-fascism. They were, they were part of the Third Reich. Okay. Some of these men where you mentioned like the Bush family and Alan Dulles and uh, J.P. Morgan and, you know, people that have studied this field, we, we know who the key players are, the, the fascist movement in America. Okay, so the U.S. enters the war, the Third Reich begins to seem like it's defeated, but what's happening at that period near the end of the war is that the, that the, the intelligentsia of the Nazi party and the Third Reich is beginning to secretly infiltrate American society. And they begin to, a new form of warfare in the United States. It's a cycle. It's not a warfare of tanks and, you know, bombers. It's a psychological warfare. <clears throat> and it's a beginning of an effort to erode the spirit of American independence, a certain kind of consciousness and anti-authoritarian point of view that American society was sort of based on. Now, this is where, this is where Aldous Huxley comes in. So there's, there's a story. You see this in the psychedelic renaissance, the big players in the psychedelic renaissance. You see this story repeated, even on podcasts of some of your friends, like Joe Rogan or um, Aubrey Marcus has had a few guests. Uh, Michael Pollan is perhaps the most, uh, the loudest voice and here's the story, you know, that psychedelic drugs were, LSD was accidentally discovered by Albert Hoffman in Switzerland, <clears throat> and they started, and it sort of leaked out. And then Gordon Wasson, working in, in, finds this mushroom in Mexico and writes this article in Life magazine. And then Ken Kesey gets, is it, like, it's a, it backfires. He's an experimental subject in California. And then decides he likes these drugs and is going to start this merry prankster thing. 
and Timothy Leary over at Harvard gets a little bit too outrageous. And this story is presented as if it's, these are disparate events, how Albert Hoffman over here in Switzerland, Gordon Wasson in Mexico and New York. But actually, this is a deployment. This is a concerted operation. All of these players are linked. This is part of the new war on America to flood America with these wild drugs that cause these disturbances in consciousness that for some very rare individuals, these disturbances in consciousness can be profoundly beneficial and, you know, poke holes into mist. But for most people, they're disturbing and confusing. And, um, and so that's what happened. That was the intention. This psychedelic movement, Gordon Wasson was an operative in a vast international conspiracy to to create a kind of brave new world scenario in the United States, like Huxley warned. Throw, I, the metaphor I like to use is throwing fairy dust in the eyes of the population. So this happens in a particularly acute way right after the assassination of John Kennedy. John Kennedy was a beloved president, young, dashing, handsome, articulate, peaceful, peaceful man with a, you know, outrageous, eccentric personal life. I'm not, um, you know, saying he's perfect in any way, but he was a, he was a very charismatic and beloved character. And he's shot in the front of the head in broad daylight and this somber mood, you know, strikes the country, the world really. And then January 64, a few months later, there's this whole new wave this whole new spirit happening. The Beatles come to America. And there's a whole new thing, heavily populized. You know, again, I love the Beatles, but the Beatles are also part of this operation. You know, their ties with British elite and um, secret societies and the, their, the way that they were, um, the door just wide open for them to spread this message. I love the message, but when it's used as a weapon to distract from political developments, it becomes a whole nother thing. You with me so far? Absolutely. So another thing about this narrative that you see, Michael Pollan, the psychedelic drugs were working. They were very valuable. They were, the psychiatrists were learning that they could treat this and that. and. And then Timothy Leary enters the story and blows it for everybody. How many times when you read Michael Pollan's book or almost any of the articles in the mainstream media encapsulating this history that they were doing great until Leary and then Leary was the shit who blew it for everybody. I, I thought that at first when I dove into this subject, I had, you know, developed a personal relationship with Leary right away and thought, what a jerk this guy was for ruining research. I studied it more and got, got learned all these different things, kind of notice certain patterns. And then I, I got to know Tim a lot better. And I realized, no, this is wrong. Tim was actually the hero in this movement because Tim was, Tim was at first recruited by CIA to be a Pied Piper, to popularize the drugs. 
And then he realized, he learned he was being used and he didn't like that. And if you look at Tim's life, you know, he was always, he was always uh, challenging the institutions. He got thrown out of every college he went to and, and he was, he was a real American patriot. You know, he was, he was for the rights of the individual and he realized he was being used. He loved the drugs. He loved what they could do. And so he put his own spin on them. All the other drug deployment systems that the social engineers were using, first psychiatry, then the the other end of that, the extreme outrageous Ken Kesey, were not really politically oriented. Leary was the first one to put his own spin on them and use the drugs to really activate political and social awareness. When he said, turn on, tune in, drop out, that was an incomplete phrase. Really, he, what it, really what he meant was turn on to deeper mysteries of consciousness um, and drop out of this socially constructed fake world that is being instituted by CIA programmers and Operation Paperclip and Operation Mockingbird. And let's start our own religion. Let's start a whole new way of looking at the world, very much like his fellow Irishman, John Kennedy. And these guys were snuffed out. And so that's why in this new renaissance, you see him put him aside. Psychedelic drugs are okay for you, says the new model. If you use them with an authority, a government-approved authority, you don't see any of the, you know, in the 60s with Leary, you know, people were like in the anti-war movements. They weren't just beautifying themselves with these substances. They were trying to change the world. In this new renaissance, I don't see any connection between psychedelic drugs and the anti-war. Is, is there even an anti-war movement? You know, it's all about healing depression. Well, healing depression, go out and start a fucking revolution. You know, depression is a, depression is a socioeconomic condition. There's research that shows that people who are depressed or people who are like locked in little boxes, they're not creative, they're not moving through their stuff, they're, they're suppressed. And, um, you know, this whole wave of interest in the modern renaissance, like how great psilocybin is to treat depression, is um, exactly what Huxley was warning about. Keep the people happy. Throw them this fairy dust. Make them, make them think that everything is okay. No, 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 um, nothing about changing them, their behaviors, about organizing voter campaigns, about the social injustice, about the concentration of wealth. None of those political developments are given any voice in the modern psychedelic movement. And that's what I think we need to change. Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a whopper. And it is, um, it is ever present, you know. You think about like, especially, you know, if we if we have time, we we dive into the last few years here. Like the the amount more more billionaires have been made in the last three years than any other time in modern history. You know, the the concentration of wealth. People were complaining about that in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. You know, and 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 it's it's steamrolling bigger and bigger. And those are afterthoughts. You know, like people are still caught up in in a. I just want to be safe. You know, and they're doing event 202, you know, where they're predicting, you know, the, the next great pandemic in 2025. And, uh, 
miraculously, you know, Gates thinks that it's going to affect children because he's Nostradamus when it comes to this kind of stuff. Um, there is a play that's happening, right? And I think if we if we can come to terms with that, it makes it a little easier to then actually be organized because whatever this is, I mean, I think empire is a good word for it. And, and Aubrey uses that with Dr. Robert Malone and different people. Um, empire has been in place for a very long time. We talk about, you know, different, different elements of that, whether it's imperialism, colonization, things like that, but empire never went away. And if we can grapple with that, we can start to, to track it. Right. And I, I love this tracking that you talked about, uh, before with, with, you know, this, and it, it, one of the points you brought up, I'm sure you're familiar with G Edward Griffin. Um, he wrote the, 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 I think it's called the monster at Jekyll Island, the creature on the formation of the the creature. There we go. The creature at Jekyll Island. And he also has a fantastic, uh, YouTube video that I'll link in the show notes called worse than war. And, you know, he's in black and white film, 1969. I think he was teaching at Berkeley and he's reading directly from the American communist manifesto. And they're, what, they're, what they're alluding to is what's happening right now. Um, blacks and whites will be used against each other as cannon fodder. Um, he continues. He's, he dives into like all, all the fifth generational warfare that we're really starting to become aware of right now was really deployed back then. Like this is an ongoing thing. It's not like, oh, we wake up and 2020 happens and we say, oh, shit, they're, they're using these tactics. Like this has been the play. And I think it's an important piece to connect those dots. Yes. Talk a bit about the, the the formation of the CIA and NASA and, and these kind of things. Because I remember learning about Werner von Braun and just kind of how weird that was. Like, okay, we you know the idea, the basic idea in the story that's told is there were some really shady people, a part of the Nazi scientist team, and and rather than just letting all that intelligence go to waste, we were going to bring them in and harness them, right? So we were going to get the best of their knowledge, the best of their technology, and that's kind of how the formation of NASA started in part. Um, and of course, you know, that's, if that's a story that's given to us, we have to question that, but I'd love for you to dive deeper into some of these, uh, topics. Well, okay. So first of all, I just want to say that you're absolutely right about that. And when you go back to G Edward Griffin, those are very important works to study the creature of Jekyll Island, the creation of the fed, the privatization of the money supply. And these are exactly the guys that Again, J.P. Morgan was a very major part of this, and Gordon Lawson was working with J.P. Morgan. This is where the psychedelic movement comes from. That's just one thing I wanted to emphasize that. And, um, you know, that post-war period was one of the greatest switches in in history. You know, we're, we're supposedly in World War II, fighting World War II. The Russians are our allies. You know, we call Stalin Uncle Joe. We're joined together to beat back Hitler. And then, you know, they pull this like smoke and mirrors thing. Hitler is defeated, so to speak. And suddenly, like within a matter of a year, this this quiet peace, they called it, in like the period from, you know, the mid-40s. And then all of a sudden, Stalin and the Russians are our mortal enemy. And that we need to build up this tremendous military industrial complex to protect ourselves from this. These guys that were our best friends just a few years ago are now our mortal enemy. And, and how is that really happening? And one of, the, one of the really good books on this subject that when I read it, it depressed me for weeks, is a book by um, 
uh, a friend of mine, Martin Lee, who also wrote the very important book, Acid Dreams, a less known book that he wrote is called The Beast Reawakens. And he talks about what happens to the, the intelligence apparatus of the Third Reich at the end of World War II. Well, some of them snuck over here and rejoined their American allies and their allies in the OSS and started the CIA. Others defected to the Soviet Union and began to become involved in their KGB. And then they created this battle, this Cold War scenario where this tremendous buildup of military might that Eisenhower warns about in his very famous and important farewell speech that, uh, you know, Bobby mentions a lot, you know, that was one of the most important speeches given by an American president uh, outgoing saying, you know, basically saying that I've been asleep on the job. He was a war hero. He kind of coasted into presidency, played a lot of golf, was naive, I believe about what was really happening. And, um, and this, here's a, here's a great word that I like to share. Schismogenesis. You heard that word? Schismogenesis. So obviously it means the generation of schisms. And this is a word from the playbook of the OSS. You generate schisms in a society that you want to conquer. You get them fighting amongst themselves. <clears throat> and so this world fascist enterprise is sets up this dialectic between America, making a schism between the United States and Russia. And, and um, they have to build up tremendous military resources. We're afraid of the Russians. They're afraid of us. And the world is kind of torn apart while the people that are actually orchestrating this schism are gaining power. I hope I made that clear enough because that's what's happening. And that phrase, that's a phrase, I believe that phrase comes from a guy named Gregory Bateson, who was also one of the um, major instigators of the MKUltra program. So, um, so the CIA is then created. Uh, the, CIA, the, the OSS kind of breaks down and the CIA is one part of it in Washington, D.C. But it also becomes the Department of Social Relations at Harvard University and it becomes the Institute of Personality Research at Berkeley. So beginning to, you know, initiate this psychological warfare and just fucking with the minds of Americans. And, um, and so I lost my thread here for a second. So that's, that's really what the CIA does. And the Russians were a manufactured enemy and, um, and created the Cold War. And so all these resources of American taxpayers goes into the creation of this military industrial complex. Eisenhower realizes at the end of his term that he's been asleep at the wheel. And as he's handing off the administration of the country, the presidency to John Kennedy, he says, look, this is the greatest threat to our way. We've allowed the, the escalation of this military industrial complex. And they've, they've infected every aspect of our society. Eisenhower didn't say that they've infected, they're even beginning to start a psychedelic movement here. 
but uh, he might as well have said that. He said the power of the military, um, nowadays, I'm just going to jump ahead for a second. Nowadays, that military-industrial complex has grown tremendously to include the unbelievable power of the pharmaceutical industry and the use of drugs. And we're talking about psychedelic drugs here, but all, all of these drugs, all of these antidepressants and drugs, are, it's the third leading cause of death in the United States our physician prescribed drugs and accidents and, you know, our medical profession, which is, you know, trace that even further back to the whole Rockefeller family and their domination and monopolization of medicine in medical schools. You know, this is, and again, this is another thing that's so hard to get into because doctors, a lot of doctors are very helpful people, healing hearts to out stick, want to want to help people. And, you know, but they're, they're trapped in a system that gets them, you know, prescribing medications instead of nutrition, you know, all this. And, um, and so it's really a clusterfuck. So, um, Kennedy realizes this. And one of my favorite stories to really get into is the, uh, psychedelic experience of president John Kennedy. Have you ever looked Have you, we can talk about this a little. No, no, this is great. Let's go. This is brand yeah, new. No, this is this is um, this is a major um, turning point in world history. So the CIA is trying to get drugs out into society. Um, a very intelligent and enterprising woman, Mary Pinchot Meyer, who's the wife of uh, a high CIA type operative. Here is learns what Leary is doing at Harvard and visits Timothy Leary to learn how to administer psilocybin to highly placed, powerful men in Washington, D.C. One of them happens to be her lover, President John Kennedy. And so uh, Mary Meyer, uh, in the spring of 1963, gets psilocybin pills from Leary and turns on President John Kennedy again in April. So it's almost exactly 60 years ago that Kennedy has a psychedelic experience. Now, when I, for many years, I have, um, I mean, I've really drilled into this story more than just about anybody except for Peter Janey, who, if your listeners are taking notes, the book you want to read here is called Mary's Mosaic. And it's about it's about this episode, Mary Meyer um, getting the psilocybin from Leary and turning on JFK. Now, when I first learned about this, I was I was under the impression that it was this these this psychedelic experience that really catapulted JFK. You know, he, he when he was elected, when JFK was elected, he was he was a he was kind of bought into the whole thing that you know his father was a kind of a Nazi supporter, although that that's, I guess, debatable. But um, he, um, JFK was, was part of that. When he got into the presidency, he began to change rather quickly and radically. And I thought it was his psychedelic experience that really did that. But when I spoke with Bobby about this, he said, really, he was, he was um, already well on the way and maybe it did accelerate his development. But in any case, 
and this is something else that I really want your listeners to tune into, soon after JFK's psychedelic experience, he delivers a speech on June 10th, 1963, another one of these most important speeches ever given by an American president. It's called the peace speech. And you can Google it and you can listen to the whole thing and hear him. And he sounds like he's still tripping. I mean, he's talking about world peace. He's talking about how we, you know, we're all mortal. We all breathe the same air. He announces that he has begun his own direct negotiations with Khrushchev, that he's that he has realized that he's been betrayed by his CIA. He's been given false information about the Soviet Union. And Khrushchev realizes that he's been given false information by his intelligence apparatus. And you remember what I said a moment ago about, about The Beast Reawakens, Marty Lee's book. That's what happened. And both Kennedy and Khrushchev realized this, and they were secretly negotiating to end the Cold War, um, begin joint relations with the Soviet Union, and start a whole new era of peace and sustainability. You have to listen to this speech. Every time I listen to it, I either just get chills up my spine or I cry because he's in, and he's funny and he's brilliant and he's articulate and he's he's the last real president we had. And that was his that was like his 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 opening salvo, like we're really changing. They'd already been the Bay of Pigs and um and, uh, you know, he betrayed by the CIA, began to, you know, that famous quote that Bobby brought up a few weeks ago, uh, I'm going to shatter the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the winds. Well, he was, as Jerry Garcia said, you know, maybe he's, maybe you had too much too fast. Maybe you had too much too fast because he underestimated the force of his adversaries. And though he started to make these moves, he underestimated their diabolical power. And just a few months after this monumental speech, he was assassinated. So this story is so very important to me because it shows, it shows both sides of the psychedelic experience. It shows how in certain prepared conscious individuals, they can be tremendously progressive catalytic advances. And that happened with Kennedy. But then immediately after that, after he's assassinated, as I said, these drugs came and like flew into America and fairy dust in the eyes. And instead of, you know, doing the difficult political work to change society, registering voters, they're, you know, partying, there's wild you know, the whole sexual liberation movement comes in. Uh, people are trying to levitate the Pentagon instead of registering voters. And the whole thing just kind of went nuts. So you see that again, this both, this both aspects of it. And, um, you know, it's people like you, uh, we need to, we need to really get this word out and not be, not be kind of intoxicated by the enthusiasm of psychedelics. And let's, let's use them as um, really catalysts, not only for personal development, but for cultural evolution. And that's, that's the message mainly I want to put out. So. 
Uh, yeah, I love that, and it, it's uh, it's ringing true as as like one I, I've often thought in the past, diving into you know like, like Brian Marusku's work on the immortality key, um, Manly P Hall, you know, just just on on the subject of mystery schools, why they were kept a mystery, why was it the fact that they would, you know, you'd take an initiate and an into an adept, and then only the select few were given these initiatory experiences where they might be in the dark for 48 hours and, and on a, a journey for 36 held by the high priestesses and, and the, the knowledge keepers of that time. And it speaks to what you're talking about in that really there are a select few that are going to take these things under the correct care and supervision in the right set and setting and actually be catapulted and transformed. And there's quite a few people that won't do it the correct way. And, and you might call those, you know, muggles versus wizards, you know, whatever language you want to use. But, but the fact is that there, there's a lot of people that aren't ready for it either. Yeah. So I, I, I love that you mentioned, Brian, we can, um, you know, I'm just kind of laying out stuff the, the, you know, the things that we're talking about, we're going to do this in, a, in an hour or so podcast, but well, I'll have to come back and, you know, flush out yes. some more, more, more. This is, re- this is really like a, a graduate level course in modern American history and, and uh, the history of religion. So, um, Brian, before Brian, let me just, um, let me just say a little bit about the course of my career and what I, what I set out to do. My first thing was to, um, reintroduce psychedelic drugs into the scientific and academic establishment with an emphasis on, um, meta psychiatric issues religious concerns, um, not having to submit psychedelics to the um, therapeutic efficacy of the medical model. Like that's, that's just a trap. Hypnosis wouldn't work there. There are so many things that Americans are allowed to do that are major parts of their lifestyle that are dangerous, skydiving, whatever, race car driving. There are a lot of therapeutic modalities that are would never work. You can't prove them in double-blind experimentation. Hypnosis would be one, you know, dream and psychoanalysis. But we're allowed to do these things. And so I was going to, you know, try to direct psychedelic drugs into a category like that. And then after working for a couple of years in that area, I realized how intractable these institutions were. And that really wasn't going to be the way to do it. And I began to really appreciate what Timothy Leary did. The world needs to know about psychedelic drugs. I don't think they should be secret and forbidden. They need to know about them, but they need to know about them in a certain context. And what Tim did, Tim said at the end of his life, the most important thing he did was to free the drugs from the CIA, give them to the people, take this chance, get them out there, remove them from their control, and let's just trust democracy. Democracy is messy, but let's trust it. And so I appreciated that perspective. But then the third, so first I did a book called Entheogens and the Future of Religion, which is a very great book. Um, Houston Smith says it's the best single book on drugs and religion. I'm very proud of it. It's a, it's a compilation of, of uh, original material that I selected from conferences and interviews that I did. It also includes an interview, an extensive interview with Gordon Wasson. Um, and then, I, and then I began to appreciate Leary. So I did a, a book on Timothy Leary that's called Outside Looking In, uh, Appreciations, Castigations, and Reminiscences, because he's complicated. 
And then I did, then my third step was to republish a book called The Road to Eleusis, which is a book that Gordon Wasson and Albert Hofmann wrote about the Eleusinian mysteries and basically about the psychedelic foundation of Western religion and philosophy. Because up till this point, up to the point that the road of Eleusis, it was sort of become well known that traditional, you know, shamanistic societies and ancient societies used psychedelics, but they weren't really part of our tradition. But in fact, they are. And that to the extent that our democracy and our Western civilization is based on the foundation of the ancient Greeks, the ancient Greeks were psychedelic visionaries. And that's what the road to Eleusis is about. And it was a book that had been written in 1978 and had gone out of print and it was rare and hard to find. And so I got the copyright and I republished a couple of new editions to put that out there. But here's the thing about the Eleusinian Mysteries, as you just mentioned, you weren't allowed to talk about your visions. You were, you were kind of required to go, but you couldn't talk about it. It was sacred. It was outside the normal functioning of society. It was sacred. You went there, you got the message, and you hung up the phone, and you tried to live a sustainable, peaceful life with what you've learned about death and rebirth and the cosmos. You didn't make a business out of it. You didn't, like, you know, there's a, there's a teaching story in Buddhism that Buddhism is like a raft that you use to cross a stream. You don't, once you cross the stream, like pick up the raft and carry it with you wherever you go. You leave the raft there for the next guy, you know? And this is, and so I'm, I'm mentioning this because you mentioned Brian, who's a man who I respect a great deal. Brian got the idea for writing his book, The Immortality Key, by reading The Road to Eleusis that I republished. He's sort of indebted to me for, for this. Um, that's why I published the book, so more people would get wind of this. But now what we see with Brian is like this, this tremendous publicity engine behind the book, um, this kind of exploitation of the concept of the mysteries. Brian and I have talked about this a little bit, like how about this? You know, why are we violating this ancient code? This is supposed to be secret, yet we want everybody to know. And, and anyway, it's just a sort of funny little paradox that somehow we have to negotiate here. Just want, I just wanted to put that out there. Let me just say this too. As I was listening to your, um, your interview with Jamie Wheel, um, I listened to it a few days ago. These podcast formats are great because they allow people like me to express themselves, but it'd be very cool to have when, when Jamie and you were talking, I wanted to like interrupt a couple times and say, but, but, (laughs) you know, to have like a three-way or a four-way dialogue about. I would love that. We'd have to do it. We'd have to do it in person, but I would absolutely love that. Like I'm, I'm getting butterflies just feeling the energy of that right now. Yeah. That would be amazing. And I'd happy, happily fly you guys. He lives here in Austin. I'd happily fly you out to make that happen. Oh, Jamie's. Oh yeah. Well, I'm, I have a place in Vermont and I'm, th- we'll, we'll talk about that later off video, but let's okay. do that. I have a Incredible. place in Vermont and we can do a, I've been, cause I've been watching all these psychedelic conferences and they're just like, you know, they might as well be a conference, you know, to be selling some sort of appliance. It's not, it's, it's, uh, it's all promotion. There's no, there's no critical exchange. We need, we need, and here's, you know, I'm writing a book now that I'm calling Altered States of America. 
psychedelic movements, plural, of the 20th and 21st century. Because although there's one family of drugs, really there are um, many different groups of people that use these same drugs for utterly different reasons. There are people using them for personal or economic or political gain, like guys like Rick Doblin. They're just money people. They're just, they found, they're like selling sex. Sex is the same. Like some people, sex is lovemaking. You know, the deepest sort of communion with yourself and, and the person or the people you love. For some people, sex is, oh, I'm going to kidnap that person and, um, you know, make money off of him or her. You know, there's like a whole range of uses for sex. And it's the same thing with psychedelic drugs. So I'd like to, I'd like to help people that are getting interested in this field draw the distinctions between what is the sacred, therapeutic, truly transformative and culturally valuable use of these drugs and what is the commodification of them? What is the weaponization of them? Who are the people? Where did they come from? Like where, and I've been, I was right in the middle of this. So I know that this renaissance that's happening, if you look into the backgrounds of these people um, in the first wave and in this current wave, they go right to military intelligence or, you know, the Davos group. And, um, we need we need to um, we need to paint this picture with a finer brush so we really can understand what's going on with these with these precious sacraments. Absolutely. Well, I know you got to jam in two minutes. Um, this is uh, I, I I'm I'm excited I'm like really excited about this because it's like a ultimate cliffhanger to just blow up a 50 minute podcast and get people uh, chomping at the bit for more. Um, I don't think we need to wait a long time, so I don't know what your schedule's like, but within the next month, I'd love to run it back with you and uh, and get you back on so we can continue on these topics. Um, where can people find you in the meantime? I know you have a subscription based that is completely worth it. I think it's 25 bucks a month or 25 a year. I'm not sure. Take my money. Uh, yeah, I want to. I've been reading. I've been reading a couple of the things, and, and I absolutely love the content there. So, talk about where people can find you, where people can learn more. Um, my buddy Jose, who does um, all the show notes, is going to link to everything. So, I know we've talked about a lot here, a lot of books, videos, things like that. He'll have those all in the show notes. Uh, thank you, Jose. He'll have all those in the show notes, so you guys can deep dive before Robert comes back on the podcast. Okay, so let me say this. So, I I started that website uh, about a year ago. It's still really a work in progress. My website is alteredstatesofamerica.net. And then you can get into my own personal material and some of the archives by paying this subscription fee. That's one thing. Also, just uh, a couple of months ago, I started a substack, um, which is also called alteredstatesofamerica.substack. And I haven't, I have got a few articles that I'm working on um, that, that you can join for free. If any listeners want to hear more of what I'm saying, then they can go there and just subscribe. And I'll know that there's, I'll know that there's listeners and I'll feel more inclined to come out with, with some of this stuff and engage in conversations. And also, you know, uh, you know, I'm a little mixed about saying this, but I'm pretty active on Facebook, which is, you know, I, I don't really like Mark Zuckerberg or the military <laughs> intelligence CIA lineage, 
of Facebook and the surveillance of all that. But I'm also in this place where, you know, it works for me. I, there are, I, so people can come to my Facebook page, which is public. I'm, I'm probably, I'm, 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 I'm not say unique, but I'm unusual in this psychedelic movement because I don't, I don't do this for money. I don't need the money. This feels like a social and intellectual and spiritual responsibility to share my experiences and help guide, you know, this movement that I help to instigate in a, in a better direction. So, you know, there we go. Um, absolutely yeah. love it. I absolutely love it. Well, thank you so much, Robert, for coming on. Uh, we will run it back again, volume two coming shortly. And uh, uh, all the best on your trip in New Jersey. And I look forward to sitting in front of you again. A pleasure to meet you, Kyle. Thanks for thanks for having me on. And uh, we have a lot more to talk about. And um, uh, until until the next time.